he might have a tendency or proclivity towards the female babysitter, but I think he's going to kill whoever's in his life. Who doesn't? So this is... (laughs) Come on now, Ray. From Rosemary's Baby and Reggie McNeil to Jason, Freddie, and Chucky to Samara, Jigsaw, and Pennywise, we can't get enough. If it's blood-curdling, spine-tingling, breath-quickening, or soul-stealing, we are ready to watch it. Welcome to Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards. With me tonight are my two co-hosts, Anne Conley. Hey there, I'm Andy Get Your Gun today because you're going to need it for this review. (laughs) And Helen Stewart. Hello. All right, so tonight we are reviewing the 2018 American slasher film Halloween, directed by David Gordon Green and written by Green, Jeff Fradley, and Danny McBride. It's the 11th installment in the Halloween film series and a direct sequel to the 1978 film of the same name, while affecting a retcon of all previous sequels. The plot follows a post-traumatic Laurie Strode who prepares to face Michael Myers in a final showdown on Halloween night. Jamie Lee Curtis and Nick Castle reprise their roles as Strode and Myers, respectively, with stuntman James Jude Courtney also portraying Myers. So usually when we start off, we talk about what our expectations were going in to see the movie. Uh, We had previously reviewed the 1970 original Halloween in preparation for seeing and reviewing this movie. So Helen, as our resident expert on Halloween, what were your expectations? So we all know Halloween, the original, is my favorite movie, so I was really excited to watch this. Um, We ended up having a date night. (laughs) No kids. Podcasters going out together. It was great. Woohoo! I was really looking forward to seeing how Michael Myers and Laurie Strode have evolved over the 40 years since the original had come out, so I was definitely anticipating that whole showdown. Awesome. I was super excited as well. And let me tell you, to anybody who's listening to this, if this is still in the theaters, spend a night, the first night, and watch the original Halloween. Crank out, like get your Amazon subscription up, whatever, you know, do a 24-hour rental, watch the first one over again, then get your patootie to the movie (laughs) theater because this was great. I loved it, but I loved it even more having just watched the first one and seeing the direct parallels throughout the movie. Brilliant. I agree with all of that. Yeah, definitely see the first movie if you have not seen the first movie in a while or if you haven't seen it at all, obviously. My expectation going in, I felt like we were going to get more of the same from the 1978 movie. And in my opinion, we did get a lot of that. I'm not positive or negative in my opinion, just the way they structured the movie. And as a little side note, as far as the date night, uh, that would not be me and both ladies on a date. That was uh, respect, <laughs> respective, respective uh, dates. Spouses. Yes. Not that you would have minded, Ray. That's that's true. That's, that's true. <laughs> so, Anne, why don't we uh, roll the trailer for Halloween 2018? Happy to, Ray. All right, it's trailer time and action. I've waited for him. Testing one, two, three. We're on. We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on a Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. 
Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? What the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. In October 2018, 40 years after the massacre in Haddonfield, true crime podcasters Aaron Corey and Dana Haynes traveled to Smith's Grove Rehabilitation Hospital to visit Michael Myers, curious to talk to him to gain some insight into his psychology before his transfer to a new facility, to no effect. They interview Dr. Ranbir Sartain, a former student of Dr. Samuel Loomis and Michael's new psychiatrist. Aaron and Dana then arrive unannounced at Lori Strode's heavily armored and guarded home to an unsuccessful interview. Lori suffers from PTSD and has her life dwindled to isolation after two failed marriages and a turn to alcoholism. Lori has spent the last 40 years preparing for Michael's return. Michael's transport crashes and he kills the security guards and a father and his young son checking on the inmates before escaping. The following day on Halloween, Michael murders Aaron, Dana, and a mechanic for his clothes and a clerk at a gas station and recovers his mask before returning to Haddonfield. Lori attempts to warn Karen of Michael's getaway, but she dismisses her concerns. Okay, Helen, you want to start us off? So I just felt the scene where they're in the rehabilitation hospital was so... You expected something to happen, and then it kind of escalated and then just dwindled. Um, I, I enjoyed, so the, the, Aaron walks up to the, every patient is outlined with this yellow box and mm -hmm. they say, do not cross the line. And he walks up and his toe is like right on that line and he's holding up the mask and 
you would assume his arms are into the box. Yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, Michael Myers is just going to turn around and just like snap your head and nothing happens. The patients start to go a little erratic and they barking and it just gets a little chaotic. But other than that, nothing happened in that scene. So you just assume Michael's just not doing anything there. Yeah, I kind of wondered during that scene whether or not it was because he was a man. Because in this movie, one of the interesting things to me is the psychology about why he kills or who he kills in the movie. And I thought, yeah, his arm is definitely over the line with the mask. And I thought he's going to go for the mask or something. And then when he didn't, I was kind of like, maybe it's because he's a guy. So I love the whole setup of that scene as we talk about them walking to this inmate yard. I'm actually really glad I did not see that full trailer, which we just previewed, because I feel like that really gives away most of the good scenes in the movie. You know, great for our podcast here today to be able to refresh and to talk about them. But I thought what was so great about that scene is, well, first of all, let's talk about the podcasters and how very clearly they're meant to mimic the serial series podcasters. I thought that was funny, so on the nose, but like so savvy, right? So time appropriate. I just thought that was great. Like a little throwback, you know, you know, we're podcasters, we're investigative journalists, like again, right? Trying to not really accept it as a modern day profession as actually being quote unquote podcasters. But, you know, they get to this yard and I love that it was set up like a checkerboard or like a chessboard. And I thought that was genius. It was weird and it was off-putting. And then the idea that it was like they were setting up a chess game before the movie even began. I love that. I thought the imagery there was fantastic. I don't know if asylums like that actually exist or not, but the the imagery was striking. And then to to both of your point, just the idea that, you know, they have all all of the inmates in the entire area start going berserk once he pulls out this mask, pretty much except for Jay, uh, except for Michael, excuse me. And the other thing that they played along with here were camera angles. So you're not seeing his face. Yes, the only thing I think you saw was the corner of his eye that you could see that he was blinded in the eye that she stuck him with with the hanger in the 1978 movie. Yeah, the interesting thing about the asylum, not the asylum, but the rehabilitation center is the sort of halfway mark it plays between what the typical horror asylum is, which is like completely unrealistic, right? In the modern time, you wouldn't have a place that looked like what they usually look like in the ring, for example, uh, with the asylum. It's like pretty dingy, pretty nasty. And then you go to other movies where it's completely unsanitary. Um, And then what's probably more realistic, which is like you say, there's no checkerboard looking you don't have a place where they can be outside they're not chained to huge you know um pylons that are that are on the on the ground you know type of idea Uh, so this was a good i think halfway mark between those two then you meet the other dr loomis who i swore i was like is that supposed to be dr loomis and then he's not dr loomis he's the student of dr loomis dr sartain but i swear they had the same accent yeah, very, very, very <laughs> I was very like, are they similar. Same from the same country. Like, how did this happen? Transylvania, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting that they chose a an actor who mimicked Loomis in a lot of ways. Um, and and of course, Laurie Strode in the movie even sort of says, "Oh, you're the new Loomis." So Loomis two point for sure. Yes, or or point five since he's a retrograde version of Loomis, really kind of. I know I miss our original Doctor Loomis. I have to say, even though we joked about his character and kind of playing with this like 
uh, he's almost more uh, a better father figure. Right. He was going <laughs> then, to protect people. Right. Then even like, though he was terrible at talking. <laughs> creepy scientist. Yeah, not not quite the character that he needed to be as an actor, but I did like him as an actor. And this guy was like the Einstein of doctors. He's got the crazy frazzled hair. And you're like, am I supposed to take this guy seriously? I didn't know how to read him at first. Yeah, I thought very early on it, there was, if, if you're paying attention... I mean, they, they tell that he's not right, that he's essentially a bad guy, right? I mean, you can see his his need to understand Michael Myers in a way that's not... Healthy. Healthy, yeah. Whereas Loomis was much more like around trying to make sure Michael didn't escape once he realized that he couldn't understand him. This guy was like, I need to understand what he's about. He was fascinated with getting into his psyche, which obviously... Yeah winds up being his downfall. Which, of course, is a stand-in for the audience who wants to understand why Michael Myers does what Michael Myers does, right? So I had a big question for you, Ray, as well as as we start to move through this movie and sort of these intro scenes. Were you excited to see the leaves and the pumpkins? I was, I was so excited for Haddonfield 2018. It did not look like California. It actually looked like a place that would be in the Midwest. Uh, there were a lot of leaves. There were a lot of pumpkins, real pumpkins, round pumpkins, um, <laughs> even jack-o'-lanterns, um, which was awesome. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't look a ton like the actual, you know, from the, the 1978 town. So I'm assuming it's in a different location, different neighborhood, whatever. It almost seemed like an older neighborhood than what you saw in 78, which kind of seemed like a in 78, a modern sort of upscale um, neighborhood. Yeah, I agree that there was a change in that kind of setting where the houses in the original were further set apart. There was less trick-or-cheaters during that day. So you kind of got like it was more of a quiet, serene feel to the town. And then in this movie, it was the houses were closer together. There was tons of trick-or-treaters outside. There was a lot more chaos. It seemed more urban also. Like there was more diversity in, in the characters that we yeah. saw. I, mm-hmm. I believe that Serenity is uh, actually no money in the budget for extras in 78. <laughs> I mean, it was a very small budget. Aren't you supposed <laughs> to be able to recruit like free extras off of the street and just stick them yeah. in there? I, not when you're probably filming with no permit and you're just trying to get the shots and leave. <laughs> I agree. But you know what? To me, um, it worked for me. It was just a different neighborhood. Land plots get smaller, as we know. It's sort of older neighborhoods that still have those acre plus lots, right? And in modern day, it's townhomes or side by side where literally you can practically reach out and touch the house from one another. So to me, it was fine like that it was still hand filled. Just, yes, a very different neighborhood. That worked for me. Yeah, I thought it was more of like a, just a change and in, in, with the changing times that more mm-hmm. people may have been moving there because sure. the school district might have been great. Who knows? But it was intense, though, I will say, that Halloween scene where all the kids are out and it is like, man, I hope there's not a single car driving down that street because <laughs> kids yeah. are everywhere. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Aaron and Dana in and the scene where they're killed. Although I have a question as to whether Aaron actually is killed. Uh, maybe I missed it, but I just remember Michael beating him against the the uh, bathroom door and throwing him up against the corner. And he watches as Michael kills Dana very intimately, right? Like holding her up and like strangling her, breaking her neck or whatever he does. And once again, to me, that was like, maybe Michael isn't interested in killing men all that much. He kills them out of convenience because he needs the clothes for the the mechanic. And maybe he kills the other guy because he saw him or would have seen him. Um, and he needs to get into the bathroom to get the girl, but he's really about getting the girl. 
Man, you totally stole everything I was going to say with your preamble. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) So I agree. You know, we were talking a little bit of this, like, what are Michael's motivations to kill kind of throughout this movie? And, you know, is he really just going after the, the female figures? So I thought one of the things that we really hit on that I thought was insightful and made a lot of sense with the first one was that he sort of has this infatuation with his sister. And it's this whole idea of, like, sinning and vices and sexuality. And he's targeting women and specifically women who have been promiscuous. And he's, you know, angry at his sister. And he's sort of right with the Judith Myers tombstone and that whole sort of psychological infatuation. So I was kind of prepared to really see him, you know, live it up in this one. And then you see him go after the gas station, uh, the mechanic, which in hindsight, then you're like, oh, he's got to get his jumpsuit. Okay. Because apparently (laughs) Michael Myers is a fashionista. He knows what good branding is and (laughs) he needs to get another jumpsuit for the look. Um, and then he, you know, sort of conveniently kills right to raise point, like the, the, uh, supervisor kind of guy, which seems a little like, did you really need to kill him? Because I think the other guy, you see flashes of white in the background. If you guys notice, right. When they're talking to yeah. that guy. So you're kind of like, what's happening I, I, in the background? I, I think from the story point of view, he had to be dead. Otherwise Aaron would have got him involved. Right. Like the dude in the uh, pit stop shop. The, yeah. The guy in the booth. Like, yeah. the guy in the booth also had to be dead so that Aaron and Dana were in the bathroom alone, other than saying, like, oh, call the cops, whatever, you know? I mean, I would argue, mm, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like it was one of those convenient, they wanted to show the um, graphic image of his jaw being dislocated. I thought that was one of the more graphic right. deaths and visualizations in the entire movie, quite honestly. Um, but I don't know. You kind of just, to your point, Ray, like, it's it's a it's a casual killing. It's like they're there and they're going to be a nuisance, so they're, we're just getting him out of the way because I've got to get my jumpsuit. And then he's going after the girl. I mean, somehow he's like, I got to get this girl, tracks her down to the bathroom, and it seems very intentional. And then poor Aaron comes in to try to, like, defend her honor and, and gets the crap eaten out of him and pretty much left for dead, right? Yeah, I don't know if in the scene after that where the cops are there, if they're taking, if you see them taking his body out or not. I know they take a body out, but I, I just, I didn't catch whether that was his, hers, or two bodies or what. So I have a little bit of a fun fact here that may explain a little bit as to Michael Myers' method. Oh. So when James Jude Courtney was practicing for this role, he took inspiration from two sources. One was from a hitman whom he lived with for a period of time because he wanted his autobiography written. Interesting. (laughs) Yes, I, I also find that pretty interesting. So he described how to kill and he emphasized stealth and efficiency. So you can see that a lot throughout Michael Myers' killings. He's not going for usually the long, drawn-out kill. He's going for, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to admire my handiwork, and then I'm going to go off. The other was the inspiration from cats, wild cats. Because anything that's in the way, I, I, I thought you it. meant the Broadway play I, there for yes, a second. I one hundred percent thought you meant the musical. <laughs> Mr. <Yeah>. Mistopolis <laughs> is his inspiration, <laughs> yeah. which, which okay. is equally as terrifying. I'm yes. not going to lie. Yeah, I actually thought it was going to be way more terrifying. <laughs> so okay, wait, wild cats. Yes, like leopards and cheetahs. Whatever is which in their way, they are going to murder. Are very stealthy. Yes. Sort of the in the night sneaky. Yeah, for sure. And oh. his, in his hair and the mask does look very lion yes. manish. So I feel like he's killing whomever regardless he might have a tendency or proclivity towards the female babysitter but i think he's gonna kill whoever's in his who doesn't so this is (laughs) come on now ray Uh, so this is what i thought was interesting too about that whole scene at the gas station though because then he goes to the car and he gets the mask 
right? So it's kind of like he's targeting, obviously, not kind of, he's clearly targeting these guys because they have the mask. He wants to get that mask back. But if you were really sort of switching that lens to saying he was doing a practical killing to get the mask back, he'd be going after the dude who was dangling it over the line, right? He'd be attacking that guy for manhandling the mask. The chick was just hanging out in the back recording. Give her a break. But obviously he was very clearly predominantly targeting that female. So to me, it was very mixed signals about what he was trying to accomplish. Yeah. Do we know, um, I was trying to track it, but I, I don't remember. Do we know where the keys to the car were? Did the man have the keys? Did she have the keys? And that's why he follows her into the bathroom. I couldn't figure all of that out. Or was it ambiguous? I don't know, but I, w- I was just laughing really hard because I know we had that great conversation imagining basically a skit with Michael Myers trying to figure out how a modern day trunk <laughs> yes. works. Yes. So we, we had this discussion, right? He's been in, in an insane asylum, quote, quote unquote, years. recovery center, rehabilitation hospital, right? For 40 years. The mechanics of how trunks work today didn't exist back then. It was only the key. And so I was like, oh, please, SNL, like do a skit on Michael Myers <laughs> going to the front, like looking for the button like toggling and then you hit the gas tank <laughs> and then he goes back and he's like oh that's not it closes the <laughs> yeah. gas tank goes back up his trying to find the buttons goes back to the trunk goes back to the front i mean you could just see him like trying to figure out how to open this stupid trunk to get the mask out and obviously they just kind of glance over that in the movie but great comical element that could yes. have been yes <laughs> i agree so he kills the woman the man may be dead, gets his mask back, and heads back to Haddonfield. I, I, I want to point out how he does this unbelievably, like, I'm going to terrify the crap out of this girl by just kind of chucking, the, I don't even want to say chucking, but dribbling the teeth of whomever over the, oh, yeah. over the side of the stall, like, you're, you're going to be next. I'm just going to terrify you I, with these teeth. And actually, that's one of the few times you see him do anything that's... Right, he doesn't toy per, with people. Yeah, he doesn't really toy. I mean, I almost felt like it was out of character, character for him. Right, yeah. Right? The other thing I want to say is, did, did either of you feel that before he got the mask, which I guess the only kill we really see is in that bathroom, he seems so huge and, and like, you see his big boots and everything, but then when he puts the mask back on and you see him in Haddonfield, like, a couple scenes later, and the shot is, like, reminiscent of the 78 shot over his shoulder, he seems so much thicker thinner and lighter i don't he doesn't seem as big so if you look at the two actors james jude courtney is significantly taller than nick castle and they use nick castle in that first scene when he's in the window and she shoot uh laurie sturge shoots at him and it's she actually shoots the mirror so their builds are definitely significantly different interesting so who, which actor do you know which actor it is that's um at the uh, rehabilitation center that you that's see courtney he's the bigger guy Oh, interesting. One of the scenes I wanted to quickly talk about was the bus crash. So the escape attempt, if you will. And I mean, of course, you knew this was inevitable. They're building the tension throughout the whole opening scene. Laurie Strode kind of freaking out. You know, we see her in her place being, you know, a recluse, uh, apparently, you know, strained relationships with her family because of this PTSD. And then fast forward to, oh, big surprise. You know, on Halloween Eve, the bus crashes and... Michael Myers escapes. But I thought one of the, I don't know if you would even say intense or horrible scenes of this movie was right here in the get-go where you have the father and the son who are going on a hunting trip, which, first of all, let's just talk about the whole framing of that situation. I felt like that dad looked way too old to be that child's father. I thought it was grandfather, 
And then he's like, dad. And I was like, okay, well, that's weird. And then this whole subplot that, or like this as an aside that he wanted to be a dancer and he didn't want to go hunting. I'm like, why are we trying to have like modern day commentary on, you know, like homosexuality as we're going through a murder movie? Yeah, I pinned it not so much on homosexuality, but more on just masculinity. Yeah, either way, it seemed really forced. No, no yeah, I don't know why it was in there, really, to be honest with you. But I guess they had to talk about something. <laughs> I just want to dance, Dad. <laughs> so, okay, but then, of course, the horror comes when they get they stumble upon the bus and, you know, the dad does the inevitable, i.e., I'll be right back, and goes out and checks out on the inmates. Of course, the poor kid is there all alone. He goes out to search for them. Um, spoiler alert, the kid is murdered. And I just was like, are they going to go there? And they totally did. Yes, they did. I do want to touch on how the scene of the patients just kind of ambling along when the bus crashed was very reminiscent of the scene when we have -hmm. Michael Myers escape from the insane asylum the first time where there's patients walking around in the rain. Loved it. Total throwback. I thought this was the movie telling the audience that the old rules of Michael Myers letting the innocent live and only the promiscuous die type of thing is out the window. He's a stone cold killer. He's going to kill whoever he has to to do whatever he wants to do, whatever that is. Horrible. That was just messed up. I don't know if they needed to go there, but uh, I mean, it made a point, you know, to your point. Sure right? it did. Yeah. But it, yeah. Ugh, I don't yeah. know. And of course, we find out later in the movie, this whole thing was essentially set up by new Dr. Loomis, whatever his name is. I don't know. So that was what was so suspicious, right? And then they get back on the bus and, you know, the doctor jumps out. He's okay. He survived. Not a scratch on him. Don't shoot. I I actually kind of love that he got shot. Don't shoot, bang. Obviously not part of his plan. Yeah. Oops. And I think it was you, Ray, who said right off the bat, like... He planned this whole thing, <laughs> right? Ray saw right yeah, through yeah, caught, that, yeah, let's I, be clear. I, I, ca- I caught onto that pretty quickly. Yeah. He was like, that's why he wanted to sit in the bus, and he planned this whole thing, and he probably got the bus to crash just so he could get Michael Myers back out there. And just as we're talking about, um, you know, the sick doctor, he had said prior to this that Michael Myers was a killer that had never been observed, quote unquote, in the wild. So first of all, I thought that was great because it's giving the insight into this kind of sick doctor's perspective where you were clearly like, well, then I guess you want to see him in the wild, which is hence why we have this entire movie that we're about to watch. But also, as we talked about the first one, we talked about Michael Myers being like an animal. So I also thought that was a great mirror reference of the first one. Later that night, Allison, Karen's daughter, and Lori's granddaughter finds her boyfriend, Cameron Elam, cheating on her at a high school-sponsored Halloween dance and leaves the party with Cameron's friend, Oscar. Meanwhile, Michael continues his killing spree in a Haddonfield suburb, murdering Allison's best friend, Vicky, her boyfriend, Dave, and several neighbors, but is forced to retreat when Lori and Deputy Frank Hawkins, who arrested Michael in 1978, open fire on him. Lori convinces Karen and her husband, Ray, to seek protection in her house. So what we didn't talk about earlier was really Laurie Strode and her family and that whole that whole setup. Um, so obviously uh, Laurie is PTS has PTSD. She's been a shut in for forty years to a greater or lesser degree. And I mean, what do you think? Do you think that's realistic the way they portrayed that, Helen? I, I do think that it was realistic. I think it was kind of sad that you know her relationship with her daughter wasn't really panning out, but then she seemed to have a little bit closer of a relationship with her granddaughter, which was nice. I, I, I obviously never have gone through anything like that, so I don't I don't know how you would react, but 
she was kind of like a two-sided almost where she was overly prepared with this crazy house with all these trapdoors and guns, but then also terrified that it was going to happen. It's funny because in the movie, they actually, I forget, it's the, it's the friend of um, the granddaughter who sort of is saying what some people in the audience, myself, would say, which is like, he's just one crazy guy. He was one crazy guy that killed some people one night, like 40 years ago. Like, we have crazy people all the time doing crazy things. Like, you got to get over and move on. Uh, which I think is their way of sort of addressing it and then sort of like, okay, let's move that away. Now it's Michael Myers. He's crazy and he's killing a lot of people. But um, I at least like the fact that they addressed that as well as shooting down the theory that it's her brother. Right. Of course. Oh, yeah. That was the best. Again, the whole like, ooh, you know, wasn't he her brother? And no, that was, I mean, again, just again, like these throwbacks to the other movies and the references and was was really well done. You know, one of the, one of the other pieces that we're, we're glossing over a little bit, I don't know why it's not really covered in the wiki, is Michael Myers' original killing spree as he's going house to house. Right, so he gets out, he gets to Haddonfield, and he starts terrorizing all these houses back to back. So you see him approach that first house. It's again sort of like this mysterious, first of all, I don't know why we're now in this new neighborhood and there are still carports. <laughs> I guess that's a Haddonfield thing. Who knew? Car carports are still the rage, even in new developments. So he goes through this area, goes into like an open shed, and he grabs the hammer, which you're kind of like, oh, what's happening here? Goes in and like bloodily beats this older woman, um, you know, brutally over the kitchen table, and then grabs the knife, right, and moves on to the next house. Yeah, this is where you and I slightly disagree, because I felt like he was going in that house to get a knife. And she just happened to be the person that he, he saw her and beat her to death. And your 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 thought, Anne, was that he was in there to beat her to death and he just, oh, there's a knife too and I'll take the knife. Yeah, I mean, he, it was like a weapon upgrade. Oh, I right? <laughs> Whoa, upgrade. I want the knife. That's my killing object of yeah. choice. But, and you could assume that most houses have sort of that, right? The What is it called? Is it a French oh, knife? I'm going to say butcher. No, it's not butcher. I know. Those are big, the big square ones. I think it's a fresh, French knife. And so you could assume that, but at the same time, he went in there not knowing that she had the knife of his choice. So to me, it was kind of a convenient, you know, moment, again, like weapon upgrade. He was going on a killing spree one way or another. He had a hammer, you know, nothing was going to stop him. But either way, he brutally beats this woman. He grabs his knife and then he basically moves on to the next house. The next scene, I was curious about your thoughts on because I was a little confused with what was happening with the lady next door. So, you know, these houses are three feet apart. This woman is randomly killed. There's no, supposedly, not that we see, there's nobody else in the house, nobody else going around. Between the time that Michael Myers leaves that house and walks between the houses, this woman gets a phone call and she is sort of alluding to the fact that she's being notified that somebody has been murdered, i.e. her neighbor. Or something's going on. Something's going on. Like she's kind of implying, oh, like, oh, that's horrible. Oh my God, I'll keep my eyes open. Da, da, da. Yeah. And she's looking out the front window and she's looking through the blinds and all that. And you're like, there's absolutely no way anybody could have found that body and reported it and given you a call in that time frame. So that didn't make any sense to me, but I like the idea that she's looking out the front. I wish that they sort of did it differently. She could have even just been enjoying Halloween. I don't care what she was doing, but the idea that she's looking out the front, they wanted to build suspense that she was like, I'll keep my eyes out for him. And then he comes through the back and then of course brutally mur murders her. So between the dislocated jaw and Michael Myers stabbing this woman through the throat, those were, you know, the, 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 <laughs> The gruesome death scenes are starting to mount. I have to say this was one of my favorite shots because it was 
as I had read about it, one single shot that they had to practice so much to get it right because it was one shot. And it was almost to me like he was doing a Michael Myers version of trick-or-treating. Like, oh, I'm going to stop off here. Oh, I get a hammer. Oh, I'm going to stop off here. Oh, I get a knife. Oh, I'm going to also beat you to death with a hammer. And then I'm going to go find this other girl. And oh, now here's my other treat where I get to stab you through the throat. So I kind of thought that maybe with the phone call, it wasn't necessarily the lady next door, but maybe they were talking about the gas station. Hmm. That there were murders nearby at this gas station. You might want to lock your doors. I don't know for whatever reason. In my mind, the gas station was further away. It might not have been even located. I mean, yeah, to me, it wasn't necessarily even in Haddonfield. So I, that's a good point, though. I, I didn't quite make that connection. Yeah, so I, I kind of chalked it up after the fact to some editing process of the movie creating a gap there because I didn't really understand what that was supposed to be. In fact, I thought it was the the daughter, the grown daughter at first. I was like, oh, she he's almost to her house because I didn't really understand what he was doing at first either. Like, first, why did he decide to go back to Haddonfield if he's just murdering randomly? And then he gets to Haddonfield, gets out of his car, apparently on some random street, and just starts murdering people. The other thing I thought was interesting about that second killing is typically through the first movie – and correct me, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Helen. In the first movie, his kills seemed... He seems to watch his kills. It's not just he's just killing things and moving on. He has a purpose of some kind in his in, in the kill. Like he kills... Um, I forget what the boyfriend's name is, but stabs him and pins him to the wall and watches him. Right? And all the women he kills, he does something with. Right? And so he kills the first woman with the hammer. You don't really see what happens to her. But then he goes around to the next woman, walks around the back, walks in, and just stabs her through the throat and just leaves. Which seems, to me, again, sort of potentially out of character. I mean, we've never seen him, quote-unquote, in the wild, kind of away from sort of going after Lori and her friends. But it, it's, it seemed weird to me. You're right. He's more of like a, um, an artist who does his murder, steps back, tries to... Like, admire his work, which is, I think, the part of the head tilt thing. So that's iconic head tilt. That's interesting because I thought of him almost more like a scientist. Yeah. Like, he was sort of analyzing how these people were dying or how they reacted. But, yeah, similar. I'm with you, girl. <laughs> is this, I think, in this section is the most controversial part of the movie, which is the baby. Right. So the baby, uh, controversial in the sense that most people think they shouldn't have included it because... It shows him making a decision not to kill somebody who he's supposed to be sort of heartless. I didn't read it that way. I didn't read it like Michael Myers saw, heard the baby, saw the baby, and decided I'm not going to kill that poor little baby. I thought of it as him looking at the baby or acknowledging the baby's existence and saying it's not worth me killing because it isn't something I would kill. Like it's not even a thing for me to kill because I can't experience its, its dread, horror, or death. You know what I mean? I might be getting a little religious here, but um, so if you think of like him being pure evil and in some religions, they say that the, the age of reason is seven, that baby wouldn't have been able to be killed because it wasn't able to be evil. So I feel like that's part of like, you aren't able to make bad or wrong decisions like being promiscuous or doing the drinking and the alcohol, which is sort of what the rules were for the first one. So I, I kind of thought because it wasn't in competition or in ev an evil being that that's why he wanted to So the baby. boy earlier died because he wanted to dance? He was over seven. I guess. 
always yeah. a reason or I, age a reason. <laughs> I, I appreciate where you're where you're going with that one, Helen. Just about sort of you know with with the baby kind of framing it that way. I didn't like the baby, you know, for twofold. One was because certainly being a mother, you have that horrible dread that he's just murdered this boy, and now he's gonna you know go on this crazy killing spree and he's gonna murder a baby. And you're like, oh my god, would American movies really go that far? Now we're murdering babies. Is that Oh, God. Like, you know, all these things just kind of flash through your brain in about, like, 0.5 seconds. And then he goes by the baby, and then you're kind of like, but that doesn't make any sense either because you are now pretty much on a senseless killing spree, and you're just actively choosing not. So I didn't like it either way. So, unfortunately, it just didn't do it for me. So I had read that the reason this scene was even included was because they needed a, about 15 seconds of him moving through the space and they wanted it to be more than him just walking. And so they, somebody came up with the idea of, Oh, put a baby in there. Uh, and so they did that. Of course, a lot of people don't like the scene because it shows he has a, they think, you know, shows he has a conscience, conscience which mm-hmm. I don't think. Like I, I, I wouldn't agree yeah. that it's a conscious. I wouldn't even say that he evaluated that decision like that. I think he would have just said, this is not something I kill and move on. Like not because it's yeah. a baby, but because it's just not something that he would do. I would agree with that. I'm going to choose to ascribe to that next time that I watch this. <laughs> okay. I like that. Okay, so then this was the other piece that we got like a little disjointed on because all of a sudden he's at the friend's house, right? And then, you know, they've got the the kid again, um, you know, sort of like the random African-American kid that the friend is babysitting and you're like, wait, but where did he come from and how far away is this house? So in the previous scene, they distinctively show him walking from one house to the next. And Ray and I were laughing afterwards because in this scene, you're like, when they don't show transitions in movies, you kind of have this assumption that they've traveled long distances or there's a bit of passage of time, right? You don't really know what that transition is. But what we were saying was in in this movie, again, they sort of have that you know, token African-American family. Do you remember him coming out the front door and there's like the naughty nurse yes. and the doctor getting in the car? And you're kind of like, why did they show that? And I mean, first of all, like, you know, the nurse was like amazingly dressed and then she's got like the schlumpy husband, which of course always cracks me up. Then they get in there like Prius or whatever <laughs> and go. And you're just kind of like, eh. and it sort of strikes you again as like the entire neighborhood is Caucasian, which by the way, like Hollywood, we really need to catch up a little bit with, you know, racial integration in these movies. But it was almost sort of that clarifying moment where then you had, you know, the African-American boy and you're like, oh, because those were his parents. So he's the next house over. Again, it shouldn't have to be that way, but, you know, they're kind of showing you that progression of house number one, house number two, and then he literally just happened to go to house number three where, you know, the granddaughter's girlfriend was at, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Vicky was probably my favorite character in the movie. I felt like out of all the protagonists, Laurie Strode included, she actually had the most character of everybody. I really didn't care much about the granddaughter. Um, the daughter, eh, I didn't really care about her all that much. Even Laurie Strode, I was, I mean, she's a damaged person, right? I mean, she almost is just as single-minded as Michael Myers is at this point. Uh, so really, Vicky, out of all the characters, kind of had the most well-rounded um, life, I guess. How'd you guys feel about that? I agree. I really liked the interaction with the boy that she was babysitting. Yep. I thought that it was fun. Um, it gave some humor to the whole 
movie. They had a lot of jokes going back and forth. The little boy had some language, which was funny. He was really cute. I really enjoyed his character as long as, as well as Vicky. Yeah, it's still making me laugh thinking about that scene where like, man, you know, girl, you used to be cool. We used to to hang out together. We used to do stuff. Now you're my least favorite babysitter. And you're just like, oh, (laughs) and then of course later he comes back around just, you know, just kidding. You're still my favorite, which was just so endearing and sweet. So I just thought the whole setup of that house, again, the whole sort of like you're, you know, it was through the film sort of visually trapped in that house. And then, you know, her boyfriend comes over and, you know, he just wants to smoke a doobie and hang out type of thing. Oh, they were going to um, have what on the, over the, t- over the clothes sex or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Which also I was like, oh, good for you, Vicky. Like we're, you know, we're not being sexually promiscuous. Maybe you won't be killed. What did she say? She didn't say dry hump. Didn't she say like dry fuck? Is that what she said? Yeah. 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 All right. So, all right. So this movie. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm probably gonna get it's beat. Yeah, I'm gonna get. Ray. I'm gonna get beat up for this. But okay, so this movie portrays millennials or whatever the generation is after millennials because I don't Z. think that. Yeah, sure, Gen Z, lame <laughs> compared to '78. Like I don't know. I just you know what I mean. Like they but they're not sexually promiscuous. Well, you know what I mean. They they're just, still they, doing drugs, man. I, I don't know. They're still doing I, the doobies. I, <laughs> the, I, the wacky tobacco. I guess I just I just felt like they were. Way more lame than the kids in 78. Well, I did feel like a little bit like, well, if you're not actually getting it on, then you don't deserve to get murdered. That wasn't right, fair. Right. And she was fun. Yeah. Poor no, she No, she was cool, but I'm just thinking. Eh. But you also have to think we didn't have to, well, we, not that I was not born in 78, but <laughs> people didn't have to worry about STDs like they do today. So maybe, maybe she was taught to like, hey, you might want to hold off on this because who knows what you're going to get. I still feel like just one more reason why she shouldn't get murdered. Like, bring back Vicky. Let's give her a sequel and she can go back and, like, kick Michael in the balls or something. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I, I was sad that I was sad that she died. Although, I will say that that whole scene was very good. I mean, the whole setup and the boy being in the room and, and Michael being in the closet and the right. whole thing. Like, all that was freaking me out. Like, I, I enjoyed that. That still made me jump in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she was like, "Oh, please don't open that door." And like, you know, the stupid like, oh, I can close on the, the door because like his foot's in the jam or something stupid. But it's just how they shoot it. That again, you're seeing enough of the closet that it genuinely looks like he's not in right. there. And then she opens it, and he's, I mean, almost supernaturally imposed. I don't know if he was actually there the whole time for that shoot, or if they do put him there through CGI. I don't know. But holy cow, yeah, he just like pops out out of nowhere, type of thing. Yeah, and then you have the callback um, a little bit later, of course, when uh, I think it's Detective uh, Hawkins goes in, or Deputy Hawkins goes in and sees the boyfriend pinned to the right. to the wall. Oh, um, and he got the same got the same treatment as uh, the other boyfriend from the first movie. Yeah, the boyfriends bited both in the same way. That's why you guys have to watch the first one before you go and see this. It's just it's so cool how he's sort of. You know, he's the same guy. Right. That's what you're seeing. And from he the covered first her one. with the sheet. Like he, he covered himself when he was playing Bob, I believe. Mm, I didn't so think of it that way. That. Yeah. If you put glasses on her, I would have gotten it. <laughs> you should have put sunglasses. <laughs> a little too comical. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, the granddaughter, Allison, because it she starts to have a more prominent role here in the movie uh, as it goes on. So she has a, a boyfriend. Uh, Cameron, apparently, uh, who... Of course, his name's Cameron, Yeah, yes, obviously, I know. <laughs> and and they have... And Cameron has a best friend, uh, Oscar. 
uh, who who looks really really like the um a act- no 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 well, no <laughs> I was gonna say the I was act- gonna say of course his name's Oscar well the act the actor from Daredevil who plays Foggy oh from my Daredevil gosh, you are so he looks right. just like him it, I mean it freaked me out I thought it was the actual actor oh I thought you were gonna I say the kid with were, curly yeah. hair in uh, uh in Stranger Things. <laughs> But well, he looks similar that. to him yeah. too, actually. Yeah. And some combination of him and Foggy. Like if him and Foggy had like <laughs> some child through time travel, that would be it would be <laughs> two, this guy, two Oscar. Two men having a child through time travel. <laughs> yeah, well, That's well, an interesting if, if, proposal. Well, Preternatural. <laughs> well, yes. If you can have kids through time travel, then it could be two guys, I guess. It can happen. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, he has the best friend Oscar. And and Cameron is I mean, he's a dick, I guess, right? I mean, no. he comes from a, it comes he, from a bad yes and no. family. Making poor decisions. I don't know. I, I kind of want to, like, know more about Cameron. You know, he was one of those characters where, again, they set up this whole idea that his entire family is dysfunctional. They're all losers. They have issues. You know, they have been incarcerated, da da da, da You know, and the granddaughter saying, you know, no, like, this guy's really good. Like, he's a good guy. And then I feel like, first of all, also, they go to, like, that school Halloween party or whatever. Brave. I don't know, yeah, how, like, school parties have gotten cooler than, like, even, you know, paid-for raves these days. But, man, that was one awesome epic party. Like, I I don't know, like, (laughs) is that inappropriate as, like, a 37-year-old to want to go and, like, crash high school parties? apparently we call them bangers now. Oh. Yeah, I thought. But not um, mashing bangers. Bang, bangers and mash, yeah. Yeah, no, no and, and I, I was thinking that meant orgy, but I was I was explained at no, work that, that the banger is just a really awesome party. Like headbanger? No. I'm not quite sure where it came from. Oh my God, no, we're that, so old. I know. No, I did, see, you have to go back to <laughs> the 70s to have orgies. Now you just have prearranged corporate raves in high school. See, that's how they get you from sleeping bangers, with each other. Or bangers, I'm sorry. I'm a where did corporate come into this? Oh, it's so it's... I, I, a lot of money went into that. Yeah. Somebody set it up and bought all that stuff and uh, got it all together. It wasn't clearly the PTA. Well, I'm I'm sure it was tax money and everything else. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> also, like slightly spiked cider. I have to say, I feel like it's almost a commentary on today's society that they tried not to go so over the top with the drug scene. Maybe not to like overly incentivize or imply or reinforce it. Which, in some ways, I appreciated it. Like in, in to your point, right? Like it really kind of whitewashed it in many ways that they yeah. weren't as intense as the '70s. But I, I don't really want to see teenagers shooting up heroin into their veins. Wow, in a modern day, you know, well, you which, didn't see that in the originals. You just saw them smoking joints and having would, fun. That would be a more realistic modern day envisioning of the promiscuity, the extensiveness of that in the '70s. Would you now, not agree? I, I don't know that I agree with that, but. But I will say that I guess, I guess here's my problem with with the whole thing. You're gonna up the violence where he's killing, you know, a twelve year old boy or whatever the boy was by like strangling him in camera, right? right? But you're not. But boobs? Oh God! God forbid we see boobs, right? Like we can see that we the, saw Judas we, boobs. We can again. see her boobs again. Um, or like, you know, kids <laughs> wanting to get it on or any, like none of that. We got to draw back on all that. But the violence, man, we just go balls to the wall on the violence. Fun, and like, there's go ahead, a fun I'm sorry, fact Hallie, about Judith Myers, by the way. I thought you would like this 
Give, give, you know, give it given, to me. Given the boobs, thigh boob girl. Give it to me. Her name is Atra. Her, she was an actress, Sandy Johnson, and she was Playmate in June 1974 issue of Playboy. Oh, and her yep. name's Sandy. And, yeah. and, 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 Sandy Johnson. Oh, Lord. Yep. Answers all my questions from the first movie. <laughs> done and I thought you might like that little bit of research I did for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Helen to the rescue with the research. I love it. Found out the source of the boobs. Yeah. There we yeah. go. Well, yeah. All right. Let, let's. <laughs> Centerfold, you're hired. All right. So let's uh, let's move on to the next section. Allison encounters <laughs> Michael shortly after he kills Oscar. She is rescued by Hawkins and Sartain, who is now working with the local police. After locating Michael, Hawkins impacts him with his vehicle. Sartain, obsessed with Michael's enigmatic motivations, kills Hawkins before he can kill Michael and abducts Allison. Sartain reveals that he arranged for Michael's escape to reinforce his perceived role as an apex predator who needs to finish what he started and kill Laurie to reassert himself. Michael soon regains consciousness and kills Sartain and two police officers while Allison flees into the woods. So before you guys weigh in, continuation of the Oscar Cameron Allison sort of love triangle thing because mm-hmm. um, this is my big this is my big thing with the movie i guess is that oscar dies right he's the friend zone best friend beta if you will to use some of the terms uh who you know misinterprets her her uh no, there's no advances. misinterpretation there are no advances there are no single signals let's just be clear well, but he mis- he's making them up well well i don't say he's making he's them taking up. He advantage thinks, of the situation well see here we go see i don't think he is and he goes leans in to kiss her and then she says no and he goes oh i'm sorry i mean that's she it just had an issue with her boyfriend you don't just go well, randomly what, go but try to so, kiss a so he's drunk as well but here's the point yeah jerk cameron who's Kissing other girls. Now, granted, she kissed him, but he lied about it. He just didn't say, well, this chick kissed me and, like, I Tiger can't, whatever. Tiger boobly. Right? I just couldn't handle myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah whatever. And is, is drunk. Mm-hmm. Is drunk, right? And takes her phone and throws it in pudding? Yeah, I, don't, I, I guess I don't know what, what exactly was. what that was. We'll go with pudding. <laughs> and it just slowly sinks. Yeah, and I'm like, grab the phone. And, and I'm thinking there's not that much wrong with you it. Just, I don't. You're waiting for the blow. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so he does all that and he lives. He lives through the movie. Fine, fine. But poor oscar nope he gets slaughtered i mean i wouldn't mind if the boyfriend had died i feel like he could have gone it wouldn't have mattered to me yeah i just i thought it was a commentary on the sort of me too not me too directly but that sort of idea where um you have these these guys that are you know the the betas who what do they call them incels is that what they call themselves i don't know what the heck you're talking about (laughs) so they're like they're like they're in um involuntarily celibate which is what it stands for, where they, they can't get laid, is what I'm trying to what say. What is the matter with you? Well, I'm, it's not the matter with me. I, I can get laid. I'm just talking about these other guys. But but um. Okay, first of all, I would have loved that if that was a Me Too statement. I think that would have been awesome. Also, but to your point, like it wasn't a Me Too statement because he's not an alpha male jerk asshole. He just kind of stumbles into the situation where he accidentally is drunk and is like, oh, I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with you and like, let me get you a little smooch. But I also want to say that scene where he's murdered with the motion sensor light was awesome. That was really, really Yeah, awesome. that was cool. That Horrible, was cool. but awesome. Yeah. No, also, cool. the poor kid is like sitting in the backyard. Hey, Mr. Miller. <laughs> or whatever his name was. Oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm just, oh, I just tried to kiss this girl. Yeah. She didn't want me. 
And then the lights go out, then they go back on. You know, hey, man, you're being kind of sketchy. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing. And then to have him basically impaled on that fence. Again, I would say that's the third, like, gruesome murder throughout the yeah, movie. I, I think Allison should blame herself. It's pretty horrible. I'm not going to lie. She should blame herself? She should yeah. blame herself for his death. Oh, stop it. She I, should. I mean, she was allowed stop to be it. aggravated over the unwanted advance. Completely. No, I, I'm not saying she didn't. She could so be she aggravated. Le- she left the place could be fine. and then... But she's also, she's also the sober one in this whole no, situation between the, the three of these. Yeah, he was already dead. That's when he was screaming, dying, being no, impaled. Because she thought he was messing... He was obviously a no. jokester. Yeah. I guess. Don't blame her. Blame the Krispy Kremes. <laughs> he could have lost another 20 pounds and made it over that fence. Oh, you no gonna problem. Fa- you going to fat shame it? You going to fat just, shame this guy? Miss Me Too over there is going to fat shame this man? All right, I'm I, I'm I'm on Team Oscar. Team Oscar you on this thing. You should know what's achievable. I don't want to bring back. I don't want to bring back Vic. I don't want to bring. I'm saying I like Oscar. I am not. I don't want to bring. You shouldn't be shaming that girl for trying to like get away from a physically confrontational situation where she's forcibly trying to be molested and she's trying to leave the situation and you're blaming her for, for uh, him getting killed. Forcibly no. molested. He leaned in, kissed. She said. Uh, that was wrong and he was like whoa i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry like he didn't say all right let's get it on disgusted with the situation because she knew he was drunk and he was only oh, yeah, yeah. making the oh, yeah, I mean, because of that oh, I mean, so he, i think she left because oh, i mean of that. he told i mean he totally was i mean i mean yeah yeah he totally messed up that whole thing i'm just saying the man didn't deserve to die that's all i'm saying that's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> well then stop blaming the chick I think she should feel responsible. It's okay. It's well, okay. I don't think so, she should, but I'm sure she does. Yeah. Well, after this, I don't know what Welcome she feels after all this. But female psychology yeah. 101. So you have Michael Myers. Now, I have a question about this. How did Michael Myers come after them? Is it random? Did he just randomly find them? Or is there something that gets him on their trail? Because he, well, he murders Vicky in the house, right? in the boyfriend. And then Lori is there and she shoots Shoots him as he's like getting away, right? Shoots him in his shoulder or something like that. Mm-hmm. He disappears. So he's just like randomly in the town now. I don't know, walking around. And he happens to stumble upon them. I feel like that's probably accurate. Yeah, that actually yeah. really ticked me off because it was kind of like the first one where the, you know, <laughs> our, our good doctor turned around and the car is just, oh, <laughs> yeah. Looky there. <laughs> yeah. 30 feet away, the vehicle in which this, yeah, psycho murderer has been driving for the last two days. Um, same thing, just a convenience mechanism. So I didn't love that. Yeah. And I thought this movie was trying to have it. Every way they wanted it with Michael Myers' motivations. They, I don't think they knew what his motivation was, quote unquote. They just wanted to throw a bunch of stuff in there so that it was ambiguous as to what it was. Like he kills people, he kills women because they're women, or maybe he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't kill babies, but maybe he would. I don't know. And then, you know, but he kills kids. And then he's back in Haddonfield for Lori. Maybe, but it seems like he's just randomly killing. He kills with knives, but sometimes sometimes hammers, hammers right? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Who is this man? Yeah, you, know you got mean? to think like he's been sitting in this asylum for forty years. Like the rage has to be building because like that girl got away. I feel like his mission was going after Laurie. So he randomly runs into her granddaughter. Yeah, no, like I'm not field can't be that big. Like, I'm not even entirely sure he even knew what house he was in at the end of the movie. I'm pretty sure he didn't. But I, what I, what I think bothered me the most was the scene after where I think she's trying to, I, they're, they're trying to get her to the Graham Laurie Stewart's house. 
the grandmother's house. Yes. So they're in, she's in the back of the cop car. The doctor is in the front seat with the police officer. Dr. Satan, yes. And then they, she's, oh, just keep a lookout for Michael Myers. Oh, he's over there. Let's run him over. Done. I'm like, that's also a thing of convenience, in my, in my opinion. He just uh. happened to be there, and they just happened to run over. But the scene afterwards with the mask was where the doctor puts it on was pretty cool, and I thought there would be a twist. There was no twist. Yeah, I, I for that one brief moment, I was like, did they really just kill Michael Myers, and he just became like the new Michael Myers by putting the mask on? They, I, they had me for a brief second. I actually thought from the very get-go of the movie when they were dangling the mask, I actually thought they were foreshadowing even True. at that moment mm -hmm. that uh, sort of, you know, horrible to say, but the magic was in the mask type of thing. Right. Not to say that it was, and I know, Ray, you always make fun of me for saying like everything's possession. Not yes, the, ma the mask not, possessed him. Not to say, not to say that it was possession, but just sort of that, you know, the mask would sort of like be passed on. Like the, it was the, the totem. The, it's the totem. Yeah. Yeah. And not that there was anything mystical about it, just that it was the thing, right? That would sort of be, be passed on like generation generation that would terrorize you know uh <laughs> horny teenagers <laughs> for, for decades to come um so yeah i mean actually when they ran him over and like kind of sort of really killed him i was like wait wait what <laughs> right and how did the doctor know then that the only way that he's going to die is if laurie sure dies and then all of a sudden you hear his heart beating or his breathing i can't even remember um, i i i assumed uh. that the doctor was lying Right, he walks up there and he's not really dead. He knows he's alive. He doesn't want the sheriff to kill him, and so he's just lying that he killed him or you know whatever. Oh, I don't know. I guess that was my, that was my interpretation. No. Once I knew he was, he got the old pen knife out right. and stabbed him. Whatever. That whole scene was like predictable and disappointing. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So they they get him in the car, right? And but he, and evil. Sorry. Go ahead. In the police car, like that was terrifying. That was terrifying. Yes. So the granddaughter's in the back, locked in, you know, what we now know. You can't get out of the backseat of a, a cop car, and you've got the, you know, the fence, the window in between the two. She can't go anywhere. And they put him in there without the mask on, unconscious, laying on her. And you're just like, oh, my God. Like, could that be right. more terrifying? So I thought that was genuinely scary. I thought I liked that. I agree. Yeah, so Dr. Evil drives him to Lori's house. Like, yeah, right outside, because there's another cop car there. Yeah, there's another cop car there, yeah. And you, they're quite a distance away, so they can see yep. that they pull up, and then they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and then Michael wakes up and kicks the door, or kicks the uh, Screen. seat. He kicks the seat, the entire seat forward. Yeah, And then the gets out, yeah, and then the, the ultimate gory kill is the smashing of the doctor's Oh, head well, then he drags him out with, and boot with, to head. Yeah, so I mean. He says, yeah. say something. <laughs> Yes. I was really thinking oh. he was going to say something, and he never he never said a word. So two things. Um, one of the things that kind of annoyed me throughout this movie as a theme was the idea of the obsession of Michael Myers speaking. I didn't care. I didn't care from the first one. It wasn't enough of a gimmick for me to think, oh, he doesn't speak. He's been mute. In the beginning of this, they say, oh, he can speak. He just chooses not to. So you assume... He has spoken. I, I feel like they say that sort of at some point. I, I didn't assume. I assume the opposite. He did. He does not speak, although he can. I just felt like maybe it was the inflection or the way that they spoke about it. Really, just kind of, you know, made me go like, okay, fine. Like, don't expect him to speak. But then, you know, I, I felt like again thematically throughout the movie they were trying to build this whole, you know, just get him to talk type of. 
what's that called? Like when you sort of have just like the overarching, you know, just reoccurring. Anyways, just like, the, you know, like a big theme throughout this to the next one to whatever the next one's going to be. Like now it's like this obsession. Well, Instead of now being obsessed with female figures who are promiscuous, now we're obsessed that he can't speak. Well, I, I, I think once again, the, the evil doctor is a stand in for in some ways the audience's obsession with what's Michael Myers actually doing. Right. right. What's his motivation? And the speaking is, if he would say something, he would tell us, is it his sister's name? Is it his sister's name? Like, wh what's the point of all of this? And, of course, the doctor dies for that. And I guess the warning is, you're never going to know, and the audience can't know. It's so stupid. We already know it's Judith Myers. Get over yourselves. Plus, if he says one word, it's not going to be helpful. You have to have a conversation <laughs> with the guy. But I also just want to say as a really quick aside as we talk about this crazy doctor, I just realized he's incredibly like Dr. Poopy Pants from Captain Underpants. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Poopy Pants, yeah. That's right. That's right. Professor Poopy Pants. Yes. So he met his end. Yes. It was a gross one too because he gets boot stomped and oh, God. Pretty, pretty, I, pretty gross. With the brains oozing out. Right. I saw like I guess they do it in American History X where they yeah, curb uh, stomp the guy. Yeah. And I was like I, I never wanted to see it again and then I, I saw it again. Yeah. So, so once again I'm going to go back to the does Michael Myers even know where he is? Right? Like he doesn't go after the girl at first. He goes after the doctor. I think because he doesn't want the help. You never really see him go after the the, the granddaughter though right he follows yeah, I mean, her I, through he the woods her, but I, mean, I don't think he actually is like if he wanted to kill her he'd kill her look oh, honestly yeah. i think he's going to the house for help he's lost in the woods no, he doesn't it. know where he's at stop it can i use your phone yeah can i use your phone and and, and the and the husband comes out with a gun what's he supposed to do that's what he's gonna you say you know what i'm saying can oh. i use your phone it was self-defense he didn't know it was laurie I need strode's to call house the police I'm just really confused by that because i'm not even sure he even knows where she is that she's there or anything and at least he'd be able to use that phone because it was a rotary phone. Yeah, see? Okay, right. Yeah, amen, sister. <laughs> amen. I love the rotary throwback. Okay, so this is where the movie all started to fall apart for me. I still, let me just say, Giant, I, I love this movie. I enjoyed it. I would totally watch it again. I'd go to the theater to watch again. But again, we this is where we had another convenience mechanism. So, right, the idea that he stumbled upon the granddaughter in the backyard. Then we have this whole scene with the doctors and da-da-da-da-da. Okay, great. You know, net, net, neutral. Now he's going after the granddaughter again. She stumbles through the woods. It's apparently the back of this residential neighborhood right up to her recluse grandmother's house. So. Really bothered me. So I assumed that she knew where to go partially because the floodlights come on at some point. Like, I, I assumed she saw the floodlights. And that's how I, that's how I rationalized it. You would have to assume that at the end of the day she knows where her grandmother's lives that uh they've had contact that they're friendly with one another so so one would have to assume she kind of knew where she was going but it just felt like the way that it was portrayed was literally she was just trying to run away. oh yeah yeah she was in the woods she, she didn't know where she was yeah, yeah doe, in, doe in the woods and happened to stumble upon her grandmother's well-armored house right. yeah well she Sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Helen. Like when you first see the podcasters at the beginning of the movie traveling to the house, you feel like it's incredibly isolated. Mm -hmm. And then in this scene, it's not a very far drive and she's just walks through a few woods and then she's there. Well, yeah. she, she first goes to the um, range. I mean, she stumbles upon the range, right, mm -hmm. where she's shooting. And I don't know how far that away from the house that is supposed to be, but I felt like she stumbled upon that and then she saw the floodlights in the house kind of led her to the house. Um, but... Can, can we move on? Because that's actually getting into the next section. So, okay. 
Michael arrives at Lori's fortified house and kills Ray. Karen escapes to an underground basement and Lori goes on the offensive. Michael breaks into the house and eludes Lori. Allison stumbles inside and enters the basement where she's reunited with her mother. Although Michael finds them, Lori and Karen ambush him, trap him inside the basement, and set the house ablaze. Lori, Karen, and Allison embrace, escaping by hitching a ride in the back of a pickup truck. A final shot of the burning basement is shown with Michael nowhere to be seen. In a post credit scene, Michael's breathing is heard, indicating that he may have survived. So this is where the stupid begins for me. Yep. <laughs> so I still love the movie, and I wouldn't be against them going back and honestly just reshooting, like, all of this. But, right, again, she kind of casually stumbles up to the house. Also, they've done this elaborate setup to explain the grandmother, Laurie Strode, with PTSD, why she's been traumatized, why the daughter's been traumatized, how she's created this protective insulation for her granddaughter, why she's estranged for her mother, why the mother's a recluse. I mean, the data points just line up, line up, line up, line up. Finally, Michael Myers is on a rampage. You're like, thank God. God, for the grandmother, go to her house, well-armored. Presumably, they go over the plan type of thing. They, you know, show this amazing moving kitchen island that they can go into the secret passageway in the basement. Super cool. And then it's like, they're hanging out. Like, they should have just been, like, making some s'mores or something. (laughs) Drinking some hot toddies. Like, hanging out. And then it's like, you know, something happens. Oh, the cop car is out in the front. Yeah, he kills the cops and he... Right, right, right. So so the dad sees, you know, the the police lights and is like, oh, let me go out and check it out. With and he goes, tiny little gun. And Don't he forget goes, that tiny little gun. He's never fired. He's not done any of this training, right? They give him like a hand revolver. But like what kind of idiot is like, oh, let me just wander on out here. You know, I know there's a mass murder out here. Maybe, again, he's in, is still in this state of disbelief. But you would think at this point they understand that there is a mass murderer on the loose. He's brutally murdered multiple people. We are now in lockdown mode and let me wander out there i don't see anybody in the cop car but like hey hey guys what's and then of course he's killed and i don't feel an ounce of you know regret or remorse or empathy for that guy because you're just like dude come on yeah if this part falls down for me in some ways because and and this is an original i don't say an original sin of of the movie but in the in in seventy eight, when Lori's just a high school girl and all this stuff happens, you forgive a lot. Like she doesn't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. Now she's had forty years to figure out what to do with this guy, and what does she do? Turn every light in the house off. Let's turn all the lights off outside. Floodlights, light everywhere. Inside, nope, nope. Got to be dark. Shadows everywhere. So and also, like you said, like police cars, like no, like don't open the door. The door's locked, can't be opened. Something, like, don't go outside. Like, nothing. Oh, it's just... I forgot to say, how did the police car even get through her gate? Yeah, that's the other thing. Yeah, I didn't think wasn't there a gate. cameras everywhere. Yeah, because the podcasters come up to the gate and they can't get through the gate. But you know, mysteriously, said police car Hel- makes it Hel- easily through the gate. Hel- Helen's giving us dirty looks. Go ahead, I, Helen. I, I, <laughs> I'm not giving you dirty looks. I agree <laughs> with it. I felt like the house was poorly designed for somebody who's trying to protect themselves from somebody who's really good at hiding. Yeah, you mean like mannequin room? Mannequin room was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mannequin room's say, a problem. There's a 
lot of times. Why? Why? No, no, no Why? What, would have, what would have been better is if they all had Michael Myers masks on. Yes, yes. Uh, which, and jumpsuits. And jumpsuits. Which, funny enough, you could actually realistically yes, yes, see understand. her doing Absolutely. something like that. That actually would have been better than this <laughs> stupid room filled with naked mannequins, which, you know, I can't see on Michael Myers, like a big, bulky human being in a mask amongst these white mannequins. But and exactly, you show them go to this breaker box and kind of like set up the whole house and they're turning on all the floodlights you're and you're going yes and then exactly they cut to this scene where wait but they turn off all the lights on the inside of the house so you know in certainly one mechanism we know you can't really see in the house when all the lights are on outside the house and that's cool as long as the predator is on the outside of the house and then you can run around and do your do your thing but as soon as he's inside the house, come on, you've got to be kidding me. I love the security mechanisms that she had with the rooms where she could scan the room and then hit that emergency button and then the door, the mechanical door would come down and lock down the room. That I loved. I thought that was super smart. Mm-hmm. Clearly a custom installation. Yeah, I, I thought she should have just locked all the rooms down. And whatever one he was in, he'd be stuck in. Right. Um, and if he wasn't in a room, he'd be in the hallway and she could shoot him. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is she has an entire armory and she arms herself with one really bulky gun and, like, I guess a knife. Right. Like, she'd have been strapped like Rambo. I mean, I she'd have had been, guns yeah. all over the Grenades, place. All she'd of have it. had, like, you know, that made um, me so brass mad. knuckles. Yeah, she had all these weapons. And then the dad gets a stupid six piece revolver. <laughs> That's because it says he doesn't know how to use a weapon. That's I mean, fine. Who cares? Give the guy a like, freaking AK 40. I, yep. I don't care. I would have shot that thing, like, no tomorrow all Give, through the house. Yep. I mean, you would have had, like, literally at least the 60-second overview of, like, we're going to give you a quick training. I've got a million dummies in the backyard. Yeah, Let's or go. upstairs in this room here. So, well, yeah. Yep. We, we well, could, you don't have to go outside. We could do some test shots. No, pro- <laughs> no problem. And then, of course, her daughter has no weapon right. the entire time. I just want to smack, and you're just like, this well, girl that's been trained her entire life right. is wandering around. Like, again, the doe in the woods. Well, I felt like that was her, like, conscientious objector she was like i don't want to give in to this what i've been yeah. trying to be against she my entire life over herself we know well, she did right at there. the end she did yeah. at the end but also didn't like the mom give her a gun or something yes, and then, and then she at one point. appeared with no gun well, what, like, I mean, I was like, yeah, what did you she... do with the gun like if you, they had yeah. had the scene where they had showed her being like i'm not going to resort to this which also would have been stupid right. she... but at least there was yeah. some clarity of yeah, her there w- it was unclear morality I yeah. was, I have I, we were taking notes during the movie and I literally had four times pick up the gun. Why aren't you picking up the yep. gun? I don't understand why there's so many guns. Why are you not touching the guns? Okay, and then I will also say, of course, the big thing that I had an issue with is that then they go into the basement, which is there's no tunnel, there's no escape mechanism. You're going down to a death box, and you're like, let's just hide down here. Like they had their room shut down to your point, Ray. But you know the idea is that we want to kill. Michael Myers, right? We, we want to kill Michael Myers. That's the whole point of this thing. So I just felt like they were going about it sort of all the wrong ways. I will say, you know, just to kind of fast forward things a little bit, the whole point is that they get him into the basement and they trap him and they, then they set the fire house on fire and it collapses on him, et cetera, et cetera. And you're like, cool. But if you had just shot him in the head a few times, <laughs> just saying that might've been a little bit more effective. Yeah. I, I Just to back it up. Um, the one scene I did like um, not the one scene I did like, but one scene I did <laughs> like um, is when, and this is a little stupid, like she goes to the front door, right? But he, he, his hands come through and grab her and just start smashing her head against the door. And I was like, oh man, she might, is she going to make it out of this movie? I thought she might die right there and it might just be the daughter and the, and the, uh, and the granddaughter. 
Um, and then she sort of blows his hand off, which... At least she got that. Uh, to me, that's so annoying me, too, because, again, you're just, like, you're in lockdown mode, and you have a, like, stained glass front door. First of all, if you're that paranoid, you're not having glass inlaid front right. doors. That's just stupid. And second of all, this, again, gets back to survival skills and mechanisms. And we talked about this with, what was it? It was Annabelle, where the mom, you know, the husband goes next door, and then the mom has to call 911. She's got her back to the room. You're like, no, you idiot. Like, you're going to put your back to the wall at the very least. It's the exact same scenario here. Oh, I mean, like, lean up against the door with the two glass panels on it. No, you're not going to do that. The woman has been training for, what did you say, 40 years, Ray? 40 years. Uh, for 40 years in, like, you know, armed skills, self-defense, fortifying this house. And you're going to lean up against the door with two stained glass panels? just, ah. I also so enjoyed the... um. How many accordion door closets did she have? <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> that right. was the best. That would talk about throwback. The stupid accordion doors, the exact same closets. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing that was interesting is after she gets manhandled there at the door, she goes back down into the basement, talks to her daughter for like three scenes. Uh, Michael Myers like stomps around. I think she shoots up through the the floor which he should have been like okay they're in the basement right but then he disappears i guess he he's taking i guess he's going and getting the husband and taking him upstairs and stuffing him in the in the closet because that's where she finds him i think right Mm -hmm. um he's setting his trap but then she doesn't stay down there she like stays down there says something to her and then goes back i have to finish this or whatever and goes back up and i'm like wasn't like ultimately the plans to get him back down into the basement just seemed weird to me that she went down and up that basement mechanism opens and closes like two dozen times within right. the movie and i thought that was way too much mm-hmm. you should either stay down there or maybe peeked out a little bit but not a dozen times so yeah or something i did feel like this movie was one of those where we get you to that final aha scene you know it's not a prison it's a trap or whatever and so the whole point is that they're supposed to have been doing kind of all these stupid things in order to lure him down there and now they all suddenly make sense I like that idea. I, I always think that's so smart. If you have a quick little twist at the end and you're like, oh, man, all the things I thought they were doing wrong. They were actually <laughs> doing right. Um, I love that. But in this case, I didn't actually think it really delivered on that. Right. I agree. There were still a lot of stupid things that, that were going on. And then they have like the weird blade trap door that comes across and they throw the flare down there. And then I was also just so irritated that they had all these little, you know, gas outlets and it sets it on fire. And it's not actually setting Michael Myers on fire. We don't douse him in gasoline or anything like that. We're just, you know, setting, illuminating the entire, like the walls surrounding. So he can basically like run around like a panicked clown and, and get out. But see, now it makes sense to me. Why? That's why he gets the overalls. They're fire retardant. Oh, yeah. That's what it's about. Are they? I don't know, but <laughs> I right? I don't know, but let's go with that, right? <laughs> now the mask would melt right to his face with a little bit of heat, but and you would assume there's oil on the overall, so in fact it would probably be oh, more I don't know. more I don't, know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole idea of burning. First of all, when the the gas pilots go on i'm like is the house gonna blow up are they all gonna die is this like yeah, a suicide pack in the, inside the basement mm-hmm. outside the basement the whole thing i'm like w- they're all gonna die right yeah no they're just gonna watch him not watch him burn they're gonna watch everything burn around him <laughs> and then once again 
not shooting him in the head, not, you know, unloading on him with whatever ammo they have left and throwing the knife at him, whatever. Now, we're just going to watch him a little bit, then we're going to leave, assume he dies. Assume it all goes to plan, as Dr. Evil would say. Right, right. Um, I'm just going to assume the sharks (laughs) with the lasers on the head are going to take care of him. And I love that the doctor got a piece of him. I thought that was awesome, you know, that she shot him, that she played the victim. Mommy, I can't do Oh, I did like that, too. And he sat down and she's like, gotcha, bitch, basically. Yeah. I thought that was awesome, but also the idea that exactly right there, like just stand there, you're holding the gun, just shoot him in the head while you're waiting there, and then let his body burn. So, oh, I mean, of course, you know, inevitably, as we hear the breathing at the end, we're leaving it open for yet another sequel. Yes. I guess that's the point. Yeah, so, you know, Halloween H2O or whatever, or Halloween Resurrection did that same the same thing right it was 20 years later and you know laurie strode but in that movie she had sort of moved on and so when he comes after her again it's a little more believable that she isn't prepared for him right like in this one it's just it's, it invites so much analysis right when you figure she has 40 years i think that's the ultimate problem with the third act of the movie yep it gets your expectations up really high and delivers mediocre what did you think about the change in the style of the mask I have a little fun fact on that one. There was a, there was a change. I don't know. I mean, I figured it's been forty years. The mask's gonna look different. <laughs> so apparently, it's supposed to kind of look different how he moves. So it's not the same looking mask each time. However, the special effects guy did research how latex decomposes over forty years. Mm. So it is legitimately supposed to look like that. Oh, uh, so just like a little like looser kind of like decomposed yes, more to your point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. It is interesting. I, I figured it was just still supposed to look like Shatner, but modern day. So it looked as rough as Shatner does these days. <laughs> Sorry, it's a William Shatner mask, the original. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was interesting because actually we were talking about this at work today, and I actually had somebody else totally random cite that fact as well. They were like, oh, did you know that back in the day they didn't know? You know, they just literally went to the store and bought, they said, a Spock mask, a Captain Kirk mask. And I'm trying to remember what the, the third. The, the third one was the clown mask right. that they the use in the movie. The I don't. Clown. I'm not even sure. The, I don't remember them saying there's a third one. But okay, one. yeah. And then they cut the eyes out of the Captain Kirk mask and made it up, and they decided to stick with that one. But I don't know, man. Sp- Spock is pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it would have looked a little more alien. <laughs> yeah, I I think. yeah. I don't know how I would feel about the ears. Like that probably would have turned me off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Creepy possessed elf. Yeah. Something after exactly. You. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, I think that uh, about wraps it up, right? Okay, so now that we've reviewed the movie, it's time to rate it. Only the best movies make it to the top of the hill, and to be the best, they have to perform in three categories. First, technical composition, which represents how well the movie's made, including the script, directing, cinematography, acting, and effects. Uh, Second is impact, which represents how well the movie accomplished its emotional intent. Was it scary? Was it funny? Did it make you question mankind or the nature of your reality? And third is enjoyment, which is pretty simple. How much did you enjoy the movie? Would you see it again? Do you never want to see it again? Uh, so let's talk about the technical composition, and then we can give our ratings at the end of the con- at the end of our conversation. So, what did you think about the technical composition, Helen? I had a lot of issues with the storyline that we have previously discussed. So I, I didn't. I felt like they could have tied into together better. Just how Anne had said about the inability for them to, or the, them trying to get. Michael Myers into the basement and not them just kind of coming up and down. That really bothered me. So I gave it a six. 
You know, that's a really good point. I mean, like I said, I, I literally just started keeping a stupid list at the end of this movie. <laughs> I think I got to five or six items just in the final scene. But overall, I thought that technically, when I'm thinking technically, I'm thinking maybe I side a little bit more towards the effects portion of the scale. And I thought that the general practical effects were good. I thought the costuming was good. I thought the scenery was good. The only effect that I thought looked cheap was the knife through the neck. So did I. I thought the dislocated jaw. I thought the impaled Oscar. I thought all that looked like really good. Uh, really horrible, but really good. But the knife through neck like looked fake to me. And, I, and, and you guys know, I don't even typically go, oh, that CGI didn't look so good. I just go along with it. So tech, I gave it a seven. I actually would rate it an eight. Uh, I was a little more forgiving on the plot side of things. I thought it was a well-made movie. Um, it looks fantastic. They did a really good job of making Michael Myers pretty scary, I thought, in the parts where he's kind of killing people and moving through shadows and that sort of thing. And all horror movies suffer a little bit from the plot issue because they have to for it to kind of work. So yeah, an eight for me. Oh, all right. So next is the impact. So what do you think, Anne? So impact, overall, I didn't think this was like super crazy scary. I didn't think, uh, you know, I, I wasn't like hiding my eyes, um, as we'll get to in the next rating. You know, I definitely found it generally enjoyable. But for an impact, certainly I wasn't, you know, Ray, quote unquote, questioning my reality. So I gave it a six. I gave it a seven. I was not scared either. I would say I had, the, there were moments where there was high anxiety, you know, I was not sure what was going to happen. I was kept saying in my head, please pick up a gun. So I, I, I definitely, I felt like the original did a better job of the creepiness factor with the boogeyman type aspect where you kind of look and you're like, oh, did I just see somebody? And then look again and say, oh, no, no, maybe I didn't. And in this one, I didn't think he, he really played that part. I would agree with that. I, I gave this an eight for an impact as well. Uh, so... The movie's different, right? 2018 Halloween is much more about Michael Myers and Laurie Strode as characters and their playoff of each other to some extent. I could think they could have went into that more, but of course it's a slasher movie, so you can only do so much with the time you have. But I wasn't scared. I don't think I was scared, but I'm not sure that you were supposed to be scared in the same way as a you know a dem demonic possession movie um, or you know like The Ring or something like that. I felt that the impact there was more along the lines of him being this sort of unstoppable, ambiguous killing machine uh, in the sort of, I guess, dread that that, that that entails. And I thought they did a decent job of it. So, eight. And finally, enjoyment. I'll get to you last, Helen, because I want to know. What you... So, Anne, what did you think about the enjoyment? Okay, so I enjoyed this movie. like, And maybe it was just like the date night aura. <laughs> Working its magic. I don't know, but I enjoyed this. I, I have to say, like I've, I've sort of said throughout this podcast, watching the first one and then watching the second one, seeing the very specific methodical mirroring of plot and effects and screenshots, I just, I loved it. I love it when directors do that. I just think it's super clever. I think they've done their research. So I gave it a nine. Okay. I gave it a five. Oh, so, Ray. Yeah, I mean, so... Enjoyment, so the reason we have three scales is so we can differentiate things, and enjoyment is your own personal enjoyment of the movie. Slasher movies are not my favorite subgenre of horror. Um, I thought they did a good job of this particular movie, but it also suffers from the, not only being a slasher movie, but being a slasher movie 40 years later when the protagonist has a lot of time to figure out how to 
circumvent the fact that all you use is a knife as a weapon. So I liked it for what it was, but was not one of my favorites. So five. I gave it an eight. I enjoyed it. I didn't enjoy it as much as the original. I did like how they kind of went back to the original and had specific scenes so that they would tie in. I would definitely go back and watch it again, for sure. And I do think it might have played into the date night aspect of it, but it was a definitely it was entertaining. I, I thought it was entertaining. All right, Anne. So why don't you uh, calculate the scores and give us each our individual scores for the movie and then the overall score for Halloween 2018. Absolutely. Okay, let's start with you, Ray. You rated this in 885 Tech Impact Enjoyment, and your overall rating was a solid 7. Nice. Helen, you rated this a 678, meaning that your overall average for this was also a solid 7. All right. I actually rated this movie a 769, which actually gave it the highest rating as compared to you two. I give it a 7.3. Overall, the average for Halloween 2018 was a 7.1. And that does not actually put it at the top of the hill. That would still be Annabelle at the top of the hill. But it does put it a whole point better than Halloween 1978, which is partially on my better scores for the movie, I think, um, than the 78 version. All right, so that about wraps it up. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, help us grow our audience, rate and review us on iTunes, and please share with your friends and family on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media platforms. I want to thank you for joining us for this episode of Hilltop Horror Movie Reviews. I'm your host, Ray Richards, and on behalf of my co-hosts, I hope you'll join us next time when we review 2001's 13 Ghosts.